in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you'll be magnified and glorified by not only the words that are said, but the lives that we live, that we will live out your word and bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. When I said yes, I said no. When I was married seven and a half years ago, and I'm standing up on the stage with my soon-to-be bride, I said yes to her. I said yes to the Lord. But in saying yes to them, to the Lord, that I was going to make a commitment to my wife for the rest of my life, in saying yes to my wife, I also said no to every other person in the world that has ever lived, is living, or will live. That was the vow that I made, the commitment that I made to the Lord to cherish with my wife. And today, we're going to talk about what your love life is about. Not necessarily with your spouse, but with the Lord Jesus. Because what we see, or, or let's just get some background from last week. Last week we talked about the stages of life that John addresses in, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 14 through um, 12 through 14. And what he did was he wanted to give us an encouragement of where you are at in Christ. Okay? And today he's going to pick up, it's like a, a continuous flow within his letter that he's trying to get to us a point that we need to love the Lord Jesus. That what he has done for us and these blessings that we saw last week that he has given us, that we've been forgiven from sin, that we have a relationship with the Heavenly Father, that we have been given strength to overcome the temptations in our life. Yet with all of that, John wants us to know today that there's still a struggle, there's still an internal struggle with us to want to go back. And hopefully, we'll see today, hopefully, we won't just see and we won't just understand, but we'll apply today what this text wants us to apply to our lives. It's almost like, uh, I've got a couple of passages. There's this man in, in the New Testament, he's called, his name is called Demas, or Demas, however you, wherever you come from, right? It's how you pronounce it. Well, let's look at Colossians 4, 14. It says, Luke. Uh, the beloved physician sends you his greetings and also Demas, right? So we can see that right here, Demas is a faithful disciple, okay? Then you see him in uh, Philemon. Also, do Mark and Archicobus, or yeah, I'll, I'll just leave that with you. Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. They're sending greetings. They're showing how much they love the people that these authors are writing to, and they want to send these greetings to them. But then we see in 2 Timothy, and this is where the sad part is. And it says, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So, what happened? What happened with this man that seemed to be faithful? He was out on the mission field with Paul and many others. And then we see later on in his life where he's departed from the faith. What has happened? 
Now, hold your finger right there where you're at and turn to Revelation. Turn to Revelation chapter 2 because I don't have this up, up, up on the screen. Revelation chapter 2, and we talked about this Wednesday night with our student ministry. Verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4. Jesus is telling the church of Ephesus, he's just commended them of what, what they're, they're a busy church and they're on fire for the Lord. At least that's what it looks like on the outward appearance. But Jesus says this, he says, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So what happened to Demas? He lost his first love. What happens in this life where we're in Christ, this Christian walk that we have, is that sometimes our minds or sometimes we're distracted by the things of this world and we lose focus with who rescued us from the pit of hell. See, you're going to continue to hear this from me. Remember, remember, remember the vows that I took to give to my wife. Remember, right, when some, you know, uh, I know that you, you, it may be hard for you to believe, but they're just not, the ladies are not knocking down my door just to come after me. They're not doing that. I know that's hard for y'all to believe. But when I said yes to Sherry, I said no to everybody else. But wouldn't you say this? There's still temptation to look other places. And what I have to be reminded of in my own personal walk, in my own personal life, in my own personal marriage with my wife, is that I was married to her. And I am married to her. And I will continue to be married to her. I have made this vow before God to her that I'm going to be faithful to her. And when you give your life to Christ, you make the same vow. That you're going to commit your life to Him through thick and thin. And I believe what happens with us so much, though, is that we'll say, we'll hear this, this sermon or whatever it may be, we'll be scared of, of these last days coming before us, that all these things, you know, the world's going to end. We'll be scared and we'll say, I need to give my life to Jesus. But you've never counted the cost of following Christ. And you'll come down and you'll say a prayer, you'll get dunked in a pool, and you'll take all these classes and you'll come to this congregation you never have a relationship with Christ because it's all been about doing things rather than loving the Lord Jesus and having a relationship with Him. And John is trying to help us to prevent that from happening in our own lives. He says, do not love the world. In fact, it's very emphatic. He says, stop loving the world. It's a command. He says, stop doing it. And I would say, folks, you and I, we need to stop loving the world but there's a struggle it's you know if you <laughs> don't hold this against me but if you like twilight it's either right team jacob or team edward right now some of the girls are like i know what he's talking about but if you've if you've seen any of that movie if you've seen the movie pearl harbor you see there's a struggle with the character there which guy do I go with? I want to flirt with both. And sadly, this is what we see in the Christian life. We're trying to flirt with both.
The main idea that I want you to get today, if you leave here, this is what I want you to leave here with. Do not, li- do not love the world. Don't love the world. Because you're flirting with danger. Let's look at what it says in verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Well, what does this mean? When he says, do not love the world, what kind of world is he talking about? Is he talking about the physical universe that God created in the beginning? God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1-1? No, that's not what he's talking about. Is he talking about mankind? You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, John 3-16. Is he talking about that kind of world? No. Here's what he's talking about. He's talking about the world as a system that is being directed by Satan and it's everything that opposes God. This worldly system that Satan is directing. Now, there is three enemies of a Christian. And I want you to see how these enemies work together. What's the number one enemy? Satan, right? What's number two? The world. And what's number three? Your flesh, right? Those are our three enemies. And we can go throughout Scripture. I don't have the time to do so. But we can go, actually, you can go to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you can see all three of those enemies. But we were once, if you're a Christian, you were once in bondage to those enemies, and you could do nothing but please those enemies. You were on the the opposite side. But when Christ comes in you, When you give your life to Christ and he saves you, now you're on their blacklist. And they know who you are. Your own flesh knows who you are. Y'all get that? Well, here's how it operates, all right? You've got Satan, he's the natural enemy, opposed to God. And what he does is he uses his system to tempt your flesh. You. That's how they operate. They work together. To try to destroy you. Now if you're in Christ. Now therefore there is no condemnation in Christ. For those who are in Christ Jesus. He can't touch your soul. But what he can do. What the world system can do. What your flesh can do. Is disrupt or distort your testimony before a lost world. Is destroy you. Jesus says I have come. Or the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come so they may have life. And life to the fullest. John 10.10. Satan wants to destroy you. Now, do you really want to love somebody that wants to destroy you? And I think when we start, when we start flirting with the world, we don't understand that. Or we, we, we forget, we've forgotten what these enemies are going to do to us. And here in this text, what we're going to see is we're going to see three reasons why we should not love the world. Three reasons, and, and we'll get to those. And he says, do not love the world. In Ephesians 2, 2, we see it before us. It says, in which you formerly walked, Ephesians 2, 2. In which we formerly walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of power of the air, that's the devil, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And in verse 3 it talks about the flesh. And so we see that Satan is directing this world system that you see here. Okay? But what is this world? Um... Is it external or is it internal? We've got to understand this because we think if you look different than me, then you're worldly. But that's not the case. 
this world system is not about what you're looking on on the outside because I've known mighty strong believers who have ear piercings where you don't want to go. And they dress like you don't dress. They don't dress like me. Does that mean that they're of the world? No, it doesn't. So we've got to understand there's a system that is tempting us to act on the contrary to God. That's what the world is. It's whatever opposes the Lord. All right? You understand that? So it's, in, it's more internal than it is what you see on the outside. Don't judge a book by its... Okay? And so there's a, there's a specific principle that we need to learn there because God knows our hearts. Now, ultimately, what you will see is, having talked about that, is that Jesus says you will know a tree by its fruit. So if you're not bringing glory to God in your life, guess what? You're not a believer in Christ. You're a dead tree. But Jesus says this. He says that we've been rescued. The Word of God says that we've been rescued from this world. Amen? Isn't that good? We've been rescued from the muck. We don't have to live in the mess of society. Now, there's two approaches that you see with the world. First one is, is that I'm going to, because I've been redeemed and I've been cleaned, I'm going to isolate myself from the world. I'm not going to get anywhere near sin. You can't do it. Not in this life. In fact, if you want to just go scripturally, we can see what Jesus did. Did he isolate himself from the world? Man, I'm glad he didn't. Because guess what? If he would have isolated himself from the world, guess who he would have isolated himself from? You and me. And we would have not have had a chance. So we're not to isolate. But then there's an extreme that say, well, you know, I've been rescued from Jesus. I've been forgiven from all my sins. So I can do whatever in the world that I want to do. I have freedom. I can get, I can get infected by the world. And that's fine. Because I've been forgiven, and I will be forgiven. That's the other extreme, but Jesus says, no, I don't want you to be in the world, but of the world, but you're in it, right? I've been trying to mess those phrases up. He says, don't be isolated from it, and don't be infected by it, but be an influence in it. Jesus was the influence. He was radical. People looked at him and said, wait a minute, you're crazy. How are you looking to the lost world? Do they look at you? Oh, man, he's just a nice man. He's a good old boy. He goes to church. Or do they see a difference in your life? He really cares about me. He really cares about me. And I'm going to tell you what, folks. The more that I get into God's word, the more that he shows me I don't really care about people. And that's sin. That's sinful. And it seems that the people that I care most about are the ones that are just like me. That when I look at different people, those are the ones that I usually don't try to get myself involved with. Y'all have this same problem? Am I only one on the, in the world that has this problem? So he says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. In fact, we can see in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, right? So why is he saying don't be conformed? 
Don't be like the world. Don't let the world mold you and shape you into its likeness. Why? As a believer in Christ, why should I not allow the world to do so? Because it's supposed to be like Christ, molded his likeness, right? And would you say that the likeness of the world is different from the likeness of Christ? Very different. Okay, so now, having said that, where do you and I fit in? Do we look closer to being the likeness of the world, or do we look closer to being like the likeness of Christ? Where do you fit in with that? And how do we gauge that? It's by our thinking, our motives, the way that we react in circumstances. How do we, how do we uh, treat other people? How do we love the Lord and give Him all of our time and all of our resources? How, and this plays out in our daily lives. And so now what we're going to see is three reasons why we're not to love the world. Look at number one. Verse 15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so we see the world is an enemy of the Savior. That's the first reason. The world is an enemy of the Savior. Jesus says this in, uh, in Matthew chapter 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Jesus is making an emphatic point here. He says, either you're going to love me or you're not. Either you're on my team or you're not. Either you're in my family or you're not. Either you're on my side or you're not. You know, often when we play, uh, we'll play football across the street, and, uh, and, you know, guys kid around with each other, and we, we like to throw little jokes at each other. Well, sometimes there'll, there'll be a time where, um, it's most of the time me, where, um, like, I'll either, either um, drop a ball or, or something that's been thrown to me, or I'll throw an interception, or, you know, it happens often, and, uh, or things like that. I'll start messing up for my team. And this comment will be thrown at me, Lee, you're the best player on our team. And it's from the opposite team. And I wonder if the world would say the same thing about us. Lee, you're the best player on our, on, on our team. And you're not even on our side. But you sure act like it. You sure live like it. I wonder. I wonder what the world would say for you. Oh, dear Christian, we need to understand that this is a very serious conversation. This is very serious because it's in God's word and he's telling us that we need to take a gut check of where we're at with Christ. Who are we loyal to? This is the whole part. Who are you loyal to? James 4.4 4 says, you adulteresses. Uh-oh, what? Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility to, towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So he's even saying this because James is talking to believers. So he's even talking about this, that if you as a child of God want to flirt with the world, the things of the world, he's even saying that you as a child of God have made yourself hostility to your heavenly father. Wow. 
Now, I would never want to think, and I think you parents would agree with me on this, I would never want to think that my child is an enemy of me. That is in total rebellion, as my child, total rebellion against me and what I would want to happen in her life. No parent wants that, right? Well, how is it that we, children of God, that we have given our life to Christ, that we want to flirt with the world? You know, they say that um, the grass is greener on the other side, but often my wife will remind me that the grass is greener over a septic tank. And what's underneath, or what, what, what's in a septic tank? I'll let, you, I'll let you answer that in your head. Y'all see what I'm getting at? The things of the world and what we'll find out is in the muck. It's in the mess. And Jesus has taken us out of that. To live in holiness. If we're not striving and pursuing for holiness... And let me let, let, let you get this something clear here. I struggle with this. When I found out, look, I gave my life to Christ when I was 15 years old. Had not a clue what holiness was. I got saved because I didn't want to go to hell. That's where I was at. Now, I have not remained. Because as I started growing in Christ, as I started getting into his world, I found out that he is a loving father. That not only did he want to rescue me from the pit of hell, but he wants to take me up in righteousness, in his righteousness, in his holiness, and make, us, make me look more like Christ, which is way better than I could ever be. And he's saying as my father... Why in the world would you want to go back to being an orphan or living as an orphan when you were out there fighting for yourself, fighting to fill yourself with these things of the world when I have taken you out of it and put you in my family where you're never going to be in need. Never going to be in need. So who are you loyal to? The world is an enemy to the Savior. Number two, the world entices you to sin. Look, this is a reason why you are not to love the world. Because it tempts you, it entices you to sin. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, the world, the word all, it's pointing back to verse 15 where it says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. Now he's about to explain to you what these things in the world are, okay? So, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So, we see the source for all these things. Now, what is the lust of the flesh, what is the lust of the eyes, and what is the pride of life? Well, here's how we explain it, all right? Lust, the word lust, it means to desire or crave. These cravings that we have in our life. Now, understand this. To desire something... Or to lust after something doesn't necessarily make that thing good or bad. It's what you are lusting after. 
Okay, I can lust after or I can desire to have a relationship with God and to grow in that relationship. Is that lust or that desire bad? No, it's not. But when I lust over the things of the world, that's when it becomes bad. The things that I'm not made for. Y'all hear me? Don't start nodding off on me. There's way better places to fall asleep in than church. Amen? <laughs> okay. The lust of the flesh, it includes, like if you, what, what makes us different than the animal kingdom? Huh? We have a soul, we have what? We have, we should have control. Well, these lust of the flesh is talking about these natural desires that our flesh wants. That these physical things, it, it mostly uh, portrays itself in sexuality. I can do whatever I want to as long as it feels good. Or it's okay for me to do it now that it feels good. Everybody's doing it, so it's okay with me. This doesn't just apply to our teenagers, folks. This applies to all of us. We all have these desires, these natural desires of the things that we want. These things that, if I have this, then I'll be happy. These things, you know, it may be money for you. The more money I have, the more happy I'm going to be. It's a lie. The lust of the flesh, it appeals to our appetites, what we want. And these things, these three things that we see, these, these worldliness uh, uh, weapons that we see that are trying to cause us to be tempted by sin, they all work together because the lust of the flesh, it says, what I want, well, I feel this way and I think I should have it, and so I'm going to go for it. I'm going to try to please myself. But it's activated by the lust of the eyes. Ooh, this is what I see. I see it on TV. You know, uh, if you look at commercials long enough, you can see that they're geared to cause you to fear. To not, that you do not have something, therefore you need it. Because you don't have it, you need it. Where lust of the eyes, it says that God is, is, uh, is not good to me, that he's, he's not giving me something, and so he's not being good to me. But then also the lust of the eyes it talks about that God is holding something back from me. That I see this that somebody else has got. Why don't I have it, God? You're holding back on me. You're, you're selling me out. I should have that. That way I could be happy. Now how about you, brother or sister? Have been anything this week that you've looked at somebody else in your life and you said, Man, I wish I had that. I, I wish I had that. If I had that, I'd be happy. Man, if I, if I had a wife like that, I, I'd be happy. If I had a husband like that that treated me like that, I, I'd be happy. If I had a mom or dad like that, I'd be happy. If I had children like that, I'd be happy. If I had a job, like he's got a job and he's making the, the money, I'd be happy. If I had the house or the car, 
if I had the patience, I'd be happy. If I had the pastor that that church had, we'd be happy. Y'all are amen on that one. Do you see where these are? The lust of the eyes is, is that the world is trying to show you things. And look, you, it does not take long if you cut on that TV to look at the things that, that the world is saying you need. You need some sham wow. And some of y'all bought into those things too. <laughs> I know I heard they do work, but. Y'all hear what I'm saying? You need the latest and greatest. Yeah, computers change what? It's, it's, it's not every year now. It's, 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 even, it's even closer. You need the latest and greatest. We need these upgrades, right? And the world's trying to throw that at you so that you'll dive in and you'll flirt with it. It used to be where in order to get certain things, certain magazines, you'd have to go to the store and buy it. Now all you got to do is click on the, not even your computer anymore. You can click on your phone. Who do you think's behind that? Who do you think's behind that? Okay. Who wants to destroy you? So what do we do about it? Look, if you want to, if you want to say that you don't struggle with stuff like that, and you can lie to yourself. The pride of life. He says the boastful pride of life. What is this? What is he talking about? It speaks of the person who wants to glorify himself rather than God. He defies God and, and denies God and tries to dethrone God. It's me, 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 me. It's me, myself, and I. The trinity of stupidity. But we are geared by this every single day. Where did pride originate from? It was before then. What would you say, Jenny? Satan. So if it originated in Satan, and we just said that Satan wants to destroy you, what wants to destroy you? Satan does. The world does. The flesh does. And so this prideful of life, this boastful pride of life, where everything is about me, I think this is the one that I struggle with the most. Because being prideful, it leads to my lust of the flesh and lusting of the eyes. It leads to that. When I, let's just look at it, my own relationship with my wife, with Sherry. When I feel like I'm not, my needs are not being met in whatever capacity that means, guess what? I deserve better, so I'm going to look elsewhere. Y'all see how that operates? Who's behind that? Who's behind that? Okay, do y'all want to give Satan a foothold in your life? So we've got, to, we've got to understand how to control this. How do we control it? How do you? One word. Starts with an R. Run. <laughs> That's good. But I believe you'll run when you do this other word, when you remember. When you remember who the Lord is, what he's done. 
that R word will lead to other R's. It'll lead to run, to run away, to repent, to recognize. Oh, no, I'm just playing. I'm not going to give you a bunch of them. When we remember what Jesus has taken us from, folks, we'll get away from that world. We won't flirt with it. Folks, are you flirting with the world? Are you flirting with the things of Satan? Are you flirting with the things that are going to uh, uh, entice your flesh to sin? We must understand this. It's not God that tempts us. James 1, 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. You read the rest, right? By evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust, by his own desires that are living within him. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Does your, is your flesh looking out for your best interest? No. And we have to understand that not only is there a battle without, that, that, that the external battle that these things are throwing at you, but there is a battle within. It's your flesh, and you're battling against that. And folks, I'm telling you, the only way that you can not fall into temptation is to let the Lord, Jesus, let Jesus, it's all about Jesus. Let him live out in your life. Don't let him just save you. Let him be your Lord. He's your master. And I would say if he's not your Lord, he's definitely not your savior. So who are you loyal to and who are you living for? And we can see the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They can be played out in two, uh, two stories that we see in the Bible. Well, two lifestyles. First was with Eve, right? Satan says this. He gives her these lies. Surely God has not said she'll surely die. Look at, the, look at it. It's delicious. It's a delight to the eyes. It's delicious to the taste, right? And then by eating the fruit, you'll become wise. So each one of those were right there. And what happened? She took it, didn't she? Right? She took it. And even in the life of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11, we can see the same temptations that Satan threw at Eve. He throws it at, at Jesus. Did Jesus fall for him? Oh, no. So the only way that you cannot fall into temptation is to give your life to Christ and to allow Christ to live in your life. Eve represents the natural man, man without Christ. Jesus represents a life in Christ, where you're at. So if you're falling into the temptation, if you're falling for the, the flirting of the world, then guess where you're, you're flirting with? You're allowing the natural man to feed himself in your life or herself in your life. And you're not focused on Christ. So I'll say, where are you at with that? And lastly, the world is ending soon. So who are you loyal to? Who are you living for? John Piper says this, nobody buys stock in a company that is sure to go bankrupt. Nobody sets up a house in a sinking ship. <laughs> no reasonable person would lay a treasure up where moth 
and and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, would they? No. So why do you want to put your stock in the world? Because look at verse 17. The world is passing away. It's disappearing. This worldly system, because of Christ and victory of, of believers having in their life, it's passing away because he has dealt the death blow to it. And it is, there's going to be one day, one day. Now, it's not yet. It could happen two seconds from now, but it's not yet. Maybe two more seconds. But one day, Jesus is going to, he's going to carry out his plan, his fulfillment. When he returns, and he takes his believers with him. He's going to deal with the worldly system. He's going to deal when he takes us up with our flesh. He's going to deal with Satan, finally. Now, he has already dealt. The war has already been won at the cross and through the resurrection. Amen? But the daily living of our life where we battle with these things, one day it will be taken care of where you do not have to worry about the presence of sin. Okay. Wow. Amen. Man, I get sick and tired of my flesh. Sometimes my flesh is stronger because I feed my flesh rather than feed my spiritual part where the Lord lives and the Lord dwells in me and the Lord's trying to guide and direct me. Why would you want to settle? The world is already in a process of self-destruction. It says, the world is passing away and also all of its lust. Guess what that means? Teenagers, adults, anybody. That means that the lust of the eyes is disappearing because of Christ. It's wasting away. The things that you are trying to desire and the, the things that you're trying to fill up in your life, guess what? They're temporal. They pass away. This pride, this pride that I think I'm the man, guess what? There's always somebody bigger than you. And if there ain't nobody bigger, there's always somebody smarter than you that can, knows how to bring you down. The bigger they are, thank you. I mean, I know y'all looking at me and say, man, nobody can take you down, Brother Lee. Thank you for laughing because y'all just told me the truth. I had to wake you up. Stop flirting with the world. We need to stop flirting with the world. Nothing to fear. And look, it says, the world is passing away and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. You want to live forever? Do the will of God. What's the will of God? Well, as a believer, it's to please your heavenly Father. Romans 2, 2. Do not, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In Matthew seven twenty one, and I hope we don't stand here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I think there's a John 4 passage up there. Jesus said to them, My food is, the, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. In John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of whom, who, him who sent me. 
So where are you at, folks? Where are you at with this? Are you pleasing the world? Are you pleasing your flesh? Are you pleasing Satan? Are you pleasing your Heavenly Father? Where are you at? You've got to evaluate these things. You've got to examine, and you can just examine your day-to-day walk with Christ. You can examine your day-to-day carrying out of the things of the day. How much time do you spend with your father? Or you just want to get, up, get your quiet time over with just to say you did it? Or do you want to just cherish who your heavenly father is? Where are you at? Aren't you ready to stop playing games? I know I am. I'm ready, and I'm wondering if you'll join with me in that. But I'm wondering if you're ready to stop playing games whether I do it or not. There's two possibilities if you don't feel much love for God, if you're struggling with this. Either you're not saved, and you've not given your life to Christ, or you've forgotten your first love. You've lost that loving feeling. You've forgotten Jesus. Check out these two verses. Maybe you've been out of God's Word. It says, 1 John 5, 4. It says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. (laughs) And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, by our has having a relationship with Christ, we can overcome the enticements of the world. Isn't that good? I have written to you, young men. Check this out. 1 John 2, 14. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God remains or abides or dwells in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So how do you overcome the world's enticements? Being in the word. Being in the Word, but not just reading, but applying it to our lives. Father, I pray that you'll, you'll change our lives. Father, I pray, God, that you will just uh, you'll deal with us, that we will not look at the world, that we will not love the world, and we won't live this cotton candy time, type of lifestyle that looks good and it looks fulfilling, but once it hits our mouth, Father, it just disintegrates. But God, you... You are sufficient for this life because you've created it. And so, Father, I pray that you will reveal to us right now, including myself, of the sin that is in our life, of the, of the flirting of the world that is in my life, and that we'll deal with it in your name.